you can take a seat. Open the floodgates of heaven. Lord, would you pour out your blessing. I don't know what that means to you, but that can only be good news, right? And when we sing, revive us, when we sing, awaken us, the, the idea of revival is being brought back to life. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly and overflowing. And that's our prayer, that God would revive us and would fill us with his life. Amen. Amen. Mike and I agree. We do. do. Okay, so um, today we have just a one-off message. Um, We're going to be starting my new series uh, next week. This is a message idea that's been on my mind for a little while, and today seemed to be a great opportunity. For those of you who have not been here before, I intend, notice the word intend, to speak for about 30 minutes. If I get excited, and that'll be your fault, it'll be about 35. I was born an optimist, just so you know. And if you want to follow along inside your little handouty thing, there are some notes you can fill in. If they're great for anyone with OCD, or for concentration issues, or people who want to know how far I am from the end. <laughs> the answers will appear on the screen. Okay, so, here's the, the introductory premise today. You know, the three most crucial, important ingredients in successful relationships are communication, communication, your smart lot, and communication. I think it's obvious, obvious to say that good communication is crucial to healthy relationships. I think it's also true to say that much relational damage is done by careless and thoughtless and loveless communication. Now, I observe quite a bit of, of what I can only describe as clumsy communication. By clumsy, I mean people ploughing in, making all sorts of assumptions, and making big, brash, bold statements and demands. Often, from my observation experience, with all the subtlety of a 10-ton brick. Often, dare I say, with a complete lack of grace, and often when that a person doesn't know anything like as much about that situation as they think they do. I'm going to call that clumsy communication. It, it goes without saying, I think, that this approach is fraught with peril. As I was pondering this this week, a, a sort of thought-provoking question started running around my mind, and it was this. How would the fruit of the Spirit... Communicate. How would the fruit of the Spirit communicate? For those of you who are not familiar with the fruit of the Spirit, they they are the characteristics or or the qualities that God the Holy Spirit purposes to produce in our lives. We tend to quote Galatians 5 verse 22, which will be miraculously appearing on your screen, which says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, 
and self-control. Incidentally, you know you're going into a Christian home when that is on their loo wall. Just saying, just so you know, just a clue. Uh, Do you know, the idea is, as we become more like Jesus, this is what we should increasingly look like. If we contain the Holy Spirit seed, then a certain type of fruit out of that should inevitably grow. And of course, Jesus said, by their fruit, will you know them? Okay, with with that in mind, thinking again of, of clumsy communication, how many times does an email thud into your inbox and strangle all the joy out of your soul? Like an, like an arrow, forgive my drama, like an arrow through the heart, like, like being slapped in the face by a siggy, soggy, siggy, soggy dishcloth. It sends shivers down your spine. And if you receive clumsy communication often like that, it, it steals your peace. Yeah. How many times have you had a sleepless night without any peace as you replay it over and over and over again, uh, pondering how you might respond to that clumsy communication? How many times have you been bruised by a tone lacking any form of kindness or, or goodness? How many times is the choice of words completely lacking in any self-control? The kind of love that says, with friends like these, who needs enemies? At the barn, we have a nice little orange display over there, with, which is entitled Kingdom Culture. And we, we have some, some values around here that we're convinced that if we can cultivate those, as a farm would work the soil over the long term, then that's the kind of place where miraculous, supernatural, God-inspired things can take place, where our vision can be fulfilled and all that kind of thing. And you can see, just about see from there, that the top two values are always full of grace and positively positive. Now, call me old-fashioned, but I reckon that our communication should always be full of grace and positively positive. You've probably heard this said many times, that there's something in human nature that demands all the grace in the world for me, but instant and satisfying judgment for them. Right? That's human nature. Do you know what? Jesus came to demonstrate a very, very different way. And if you think about it, any statement can actually be made in a positive way. So, J. John, you might have heard of J. John. J. John wrote a book called just 10. And in that book, he worked his way through the Ten Commandments that, that are found in the Old Testament. Now, if you, if you think about it, all the Ten Commandments pretty much are, are don't statements. But, but in his book, he, he rewrote each of those statements. And it, it's always possible to rewrite negative statements as something positive, as a, as a can-do statement as a, why don't you try this instead kind of thing. 
I'll give you an example. One of the Ten Commandments you find in Exodus 23 is you shall not commit murder. Okay, I think we'd all subscribe to that as being wisdom. So J. John, in, in his rewriting of that, wrote it as manage your anger. I, I had a go. I, I wrote it like this. Value and dignify every human life as a soul Jesus loved and died for. Now, I would say that, that both of those rewrites pretty comprehensively cover the first one. So I'm just saying that to illustrate the point that you can, you can express any negative in a positive way and be positively positive if you choose to. It is possible to communicate with grace and positivity. Exemplifying those, those qualities of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And if you communicate like that, I guarantee you will leave a very different legacy. Yes. Let me ask this question from, for, you, for you. How would you like to leave in your wake love and hope and encouragement rather than a trail of destruction? Yeah. I suspect I'm preaching to the choir, as they say, today. Colossians 4, verse 6. Let your conversation always be full of grace. There we go. We didn't just pluck this out of thin air. Seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer everyone. Proverbs 15, 1 and 2. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise adorns knowledge, but the mouth of the fool gushes folly. Just hanging that out there. No comment on that. Okay, so, so with, those, with those thoughts in mind, uh, uh, here's my proposition for today. The proposition is you can almost always make the same point more effectively and certainly more kindly by asking a good question. Yeah. I heard it expressed as I googled around this week, how can we learn the gentle art of asking rather than telling? And I propose that we might get further, faster, by asking good questions. I'd say this, we seldom get the right answer without first asking the right question. And if we were to operate like this, might our relationships be healthier and stronger and more loving, dare I say. A couple of quotes for you. Einstein, it's always good to quote Albert Einstein. He was a smart and clever guy and very convincing. He said this, if I had an hour to solve a problem and my life depended on the solution... I would spend the first 55 minutes determining the proper question to ask. For once I know the proper question, I could solve the problem in less than five minutes. That was Einstein, to be fair, but I think the principle is a good one. Voltaire, who was a French philosopher, said, judge a man by his questions rather than his answers. Which is interesting. It leads on to to this thought. Ponder this for a second. How powerfully... Did Jesus use the asking of questions? 
Now, as I said, I did a bit of Googling around the topic this week, and I found a book entitled, Jesus is the Question. There we go. Jesus is the Question, the 307 questions Jesus asked, and the three he answered by Martin Copenhaver. Uh, he, he says this, contrary to some common assumptions, Jesus is not the ultimate answer man, but more like the great questioner. In the Gospels, Jesus asked many more questions than he answers. To be precise, and I've got to concede, I didn't count, okay? We're trusting Martin on this. I didn't go through. <laughs> to be precise, Jesus asked 307 questions. He has asked 183, of which he only answers three. In fact, for every question he answers directly, he asks literally 100. You know, Jesus used questions to accomplish all sorts of different things. Here's a, an incomplete list. He used questions to expose hard hearts. He used questions to get people thinking, perhaps to demonstrate how important it is to think. He asked questions to obtain the information he needed, fairly obvious. He asked questions to make strong statements. He used questions to communicate passion. He asked questions, this is my favourite, to root out the real question behind the question. How many of you know the first question is rarely the real question? Jesus was brilliant at probing, asking questions back, just teasing out, trying to get to the root of the issue. He used questions to provoke soul-searching. He used questions to diffuse personal attacks. He used questions to wriggle out of traps, especially when he was asked questions to which either answer was wrong, someone's eyes. And finally, he used questions to connect with people on a deeper level. See how powerful questions can be. Here's, I think, my favourite example. Matthew 22, verse 15. Then the Pharisees, good old Pharisees, then the Pharisees met together to plot how to trap Jesus into saying something for which he could be arrested. Verse 17. Now tell us what you think about this. Here's the question. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? I could be cautious. How Caesar wasn't a representative of the Conservative Party. Caesar, they were, they were an invading army. I'm just going to leave that hanging. They were an invading army. The, the, they, they took taxes unfairly from the people in order to fund their military operation around the world, not to make life cosy and comfortable for the Jews, okay? And so it's a, it was a raging question. Is it right for us to pay our taxes to Caesar or not? Should we rebel? But Jesus knew their evil motives. You hypocrites, he said. Why are you trying to trap me? He knew that that wasn't the question. They weren't trying to get Jesus to answer this question. They were laying a trap for him so they could use his words against him. So he said this, here, show me the coin used for the tax. When they handed him a Roman coin, he asked, whose picture and title are stamped on it? There's the question. Whose name 
is on the coin. Caesar's, they replied. Well then, he said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. His reply amazed them and they went away. See how cleverly Jesus used that, that that long list I gave you. Jesus did many of those things just by asking that one question. He asked other probing questions which we don't have time to look into. Not if I'm hit 30 minutes anyway. Who do you say I am? Jesus asked them. Why do you call me good? That's the rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10. Why are you so afraid? Mark chapter 8 verse 26. What does the scripture say? Luke chapter 10. Another favourite of mine. Mark chapter 5 verse 30. Who touched me? Who touched me? I love this quote. Jesus never asked a question because he needed to know the answer. He used questions the way a surgeon uses a scalpel to delicately delicately cut into a new level of understanding. Another quote I found for Jesus, it was more important that he teach us how to think than to tell us what to think. So, So it's a powerful principle to seek first to understand. You understand that principle? Um, Stephen Covey in his um, seven uh, habits of highly effective people, number five is seek first to understand. Now Covey was a clever guy, but he didn't originate that expression. It comes actually from a very famous prayer, St. Francis of Assisi. And he prayed this, O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, and to be loved as to love, and so on. And here's the point I want to make. Everything that you say, everything that you think, naturally gets filtered through your frame of reference, through through your existing knowledge, from your past experience, from your personal preferences and agendas and so on. To which I say, that's great if you want to have a one-way conversation. But, But if connection is your aim, then you are going to need to seek first to understand. There's a famous, um, now departed, uh, old preacher out of America called Kenneth Hagin. And I remember him telling a story, or someone telling a story about him, and they'd gone out to, for, to dinner after church with a few sort of lofty ministers and big names and all this kind of thing. And, and Kenneth Hagin was a bit of a legend, really. And, and he sat in the corner all the way through the meal and really said very little. And so this person at the end said to him, how, how come you were quiet? How come you let everyone else do all the talking? And, he, and the reply was this one little line that's stuck with me all these years, which is this, I already know all I know. I already know. In other words, what's the benefit of me founding all that I know? I'm not going to learn anything by spurting all that I know. I'm going to learn by asking questions and by listening and drawing from everyone else. 
I was listening to a, a Bill Johnson uh, podcast this week on a, an unrelated theme, but he told, gave a couple of illustrations I thought were really helpful. And the first one is he said that his dad, who was also a long-term pastor, he used to say this. This is really poignant. Wash a person's feet until you know why they walk the way they do. So easy to jump to conclusions and to completely miss the point. Serve them, love them, get to know them, ask them questions first until you understand the why. And that'll change everything. And then off the back of that, he told a story which I'm going to completely borrow. He said that he was at a, a, some kind of conference event and he, he was, it was worship time. And sitting just down the row from him was a really, really well-intentioned but very irritating woman. Very rare, I know. And um, anyway, I could get myself in serious hot water. Proceed with caution, Jamie, proceed with caution. Anyway, this, this lady was, was, was singing in between all the lines. So, the, you know, the, the band would sing the nice song and then a sort of yodely kind of song would appear in all the gaps all the way through. And, and Bill Johnson said, that, you know, he, he was doing really well, very gracious, wise man, to contain himself all the way through the worship service. But he did concede it was just a little bit irritating and distracting. At the end of the service, another lady whose name is Heidi Baker, that you might have heard of, who... How do I express this? It's quite unique in her personality, but an incredibly gracious and compassionate woman. And he, she came up to Bill and pointed to this slightly irritating, slightly irritating lady and said, isn't she amazing? Bill thought, okay. She said this, 35 years as a prostitute and now she's free. Bill said, all of a sudden, all that noise that was annoying became a symphony. Okay, let let me ask this question. What what are the communication faux pas that we can avoid by asking good questions? Again, an incomplete list. I'm not going to press into these. I'm just going to lob them out there. Number one, jumping to conclusions. Now, we live in an era of 40 characters People make a tweet, and then all sorts of garbage appears. I mean, what can he say in 40 characters? Goodness me, it takes me 40 minutes to make one point. How can you do it in 140? I've given up. And so within that, all sorts of assumptions are made. All sorts of conclusions can be jumped to. And so you get these ridiculous blog lines, which I've given up reading. So number one is jumping to conclusions. Number two is making false assumptions. 140 characters by necessity means you've got to make a lot of assumptions. We're not as good at making assumptions as we think we are. Thirdly, failing to appreciate the bigger picture. There's always a much, much, much bigger picture. I mean, it might, you might struggle to believe it, but you know, if I preach 35 minutes, I always have two files on my computer, the ones that I'm going to say and the ones that I wish I could but I can't. Often, that one's bigger. I could bless you with two and a half hours every week if you liked. Yeah. 
right, in order to give you the bigger picture because you can't undergird every point. I told you not to get me excited. I'll be too long. Uh, letter D on my list is overreacting. E is ignoring other people's feelings. F is being judgmental or graceless or even hypocritical. And the last of my communication faux pas is appearing to be the font of all knowledge when really you're not. Okay. Anyone else apart from me like to avoid any of those on the list? A couple of other benefits to asking good questions. Number one, questions are great conversation starters. Here's another quote. This is Dale Carnegie, who wrote a very famous book a long time ago called How to Win Friends and Influence People. Sounds like a book I need to read. He said, ask questions the other person will enjoy answering. That's smart. My my parents-in-law and my wife, dare I say, fantastic at, at asking questions, putting people together catalyzing a conversation and then sneaking off and letting them get on with it. It's it's a real ministry. It's a real gift that they have. We went to their 50th wedding anniversary and the tent was absolutely full of people because they're dearly loved, because they're great at asking questions and pulling people together. Ask questions the other person will enjoy answering. How much better that I remember going to a wedding a long time ago um, of a friend of mine And you know how how you arrive and you see the seating plan? And you go, oh, that's fascinating. I wonder who they put me next to. And so I go and I look at the list and there's not a single name I recognize. Okay, that's interesting. I wonder why my friend has put me on this table. Let's find out. Suffice it to say, on that particular occasion, an hour and a half, two hours, probably two and a half hours later, I had absolutely no clue why they placed me on that table. I couldn't see any connection. I couldn't see any link. I couldn't see any common ground. Oh, that was obviously the dump table, wasn't it? I can't think of where to put Just chuck him on there. Or maybe thought they thought I'd spark something. I don't know. So, so number one, questions are great conversation starters. Ever find your conversation getting a bit dry? Asking questions. Powerful. Secondly, asking questions shows you care and that you're interested, and that it isn't all about you. Here's the old line, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. That's a really powerful and important statement. Sorry, lots of personal anecdotes um, for me today. About 25 years ago, I found myself, as one does, in, in, in Belle Paris. And actually, we were at the Standard Athletic Club, I think... It was my father's 50th birthday. That's quite a long time ago. And my father, being slightly um, cricket-obsessed, had organised a cricket tour for his 50th birthday. And we were playing at the only cricket club in Paris. It was called the Stand Athletic Club. And afterwards, we had a dinner meal with our team and their team. And I found myself sitting next to the opposition captain. And his, dare I say, slightly attractive uh, wife. Or girlfriend, whatever she was. And, um, And I remember sitting all the way through this conversation probably an hour and a half again through a meal, and getting to the end of the meal and realising that those two that I'd been sitting next to had not asked me one single question. 
I don't think they knew my name. They didn't know my job. They didn't know where I lived. They probably didn't even know that I was the, you know, the guest of honour's son. Didn't know anything at all. And it was really, really striking. I remember thinking, I'm never, ever, ever going to do that. So if you're trying to cultivate relationship, friendship, for whatever reason, do you know what? Asking questions is great because it shows you care. Third one, oh, yeah, there's another little anecdote. So um, who, anyone watch The Good Doctor on TV? So I'm watching The Good Doctor and, and, and this week with Catherine, first one in the new series. And the, the, the hero is a, is a doctor called, a young doctor called Sean Murphy, who's autistic but an absolute genius. And it's a great show, actually. It, it deals with how he, he adds his medical genius, but also really, really copes with some of the niceties, dare I say, of bedside manner, etc., etc. So anyway, in this particular show, Sean Murphy is going on a date, which wouldn't be home territory. So it, in this, he's got a little post-it note in his pocket. Uh, and on it, he's got a list of subjects to talk about, and then at the bottom, subjects not to talk about. Like, like politics, right? Um, so anyway, of course, he, bless him, he's got no communication or certainly no listening skills what, whatsoever. So, so the whole thing appears, at least in his eyes, to be really, really painful. And in fact, in this day, he interrupts the most touchy-feely moment with a thoroughly inappropriate joke. <laughs> Moral of the story... Questions are really, really powerful and really, really helpful. Perhaps the moral is you've got to be able to listen to the answers as well. Okay, number three. By asking leading questions, you can make people think it was their own idea. <laughs> right? Just quickly, isn't, isn't there a pleasure in doing something for someone that was your idea rather than because they told you to do it? Which, which gives you more pleasure. And so there's a a skill to to making people think it was their own idea because then they'll invest far more energy into it. We use words like participation and and inclusion and collaboration because they produce another buzzword, ownership, and far better results. The, The point being, rather than telling, by asking, you can lead people rather than bashing them on the head, I guess. Okay, so, so I, I said at the start, you know, that the, the peril is clumsy communication. I just want to give you an example of how asking intelligent questions is, is more effective than clumsy communication. So here, here's the statement. You've probably all heard this one. You've probably had the email. And it goes like this, in quotes. You've done that. All wrong. I would never have done it like that. You need to do it differently and better next time. Thank you. Thank you. Amen. Galatians 5.20. Now, obviously, I've summarised that. You know, often in a body of an email, that's essentially the message that is communicated. Let me show how, with the asking of a few Carefully selected questions, you can get there rather differently. So there are a couple of red alerts in that email. First one is that you're assuming you're right. 
You're assuming that you see the whole of the big picture. And secondly, in that email, there is the potential for relational, emotional and professional damage because you have utterly ignored the recipient's feelings. So strongly do you want to make this point that you're entirely correct about. So the question is, might there be a better way? And the answer, of course, is yes. How about asking a series of, of probing, sensitive and intelligent questions? It's questions like this. And then the language is carefully chosen. Do you mind if I ask, why did you decide to do it like that? Okay, see how powerful a question that is. And then a following question. And I'm curious. What other options did you perhaps consider? And then a third question, just wondering, but by any chance, did you think of doing it like that? The answer might well be, actually, yes, I did, and I can tell you the 25 reasons why I didn't. But if you go ploughing in with your sledgehammer, you can miss all that nuance without even realising it. You see, the first approach... It puts people on the defensive. The second approach opens people up to advice and input. The first approach is is like a sledgehammer. The second is like a feather. The first one is definitive and absolute and dictatorial. The second one is probing and inquisitive and sensitive. The first one is proud and the second one is humble. You know what the Bible says about pride coming before a fall? The first one is judgmental. The second one is gracious. That's our value. The first one risks backfiring if you are wrong. The second one helps you gather all sorts of useful information so you can find out whether or not you're right and hopefully make some significant progress as a result. And then final point, and and tellingly on that, which of those two forms of communication would you rather receive yourself? And I think we all know the answer to that. Well, one last uh, point before we wrap up. I I just thought about throwing out some examples of great questions. There's a limited list again. You could try some of these out this week and see how you get on. But but I'm convinced that these are clever questions that if used skillfully might really help. Here's question number one. Another medical show, sorry, New Amsterdam. Anyone watching New Amsterdam? In that there's a medical director who's quite quirky. It comes from it from a very, very different perspective. He has one question that he asks over and over again. He's at the top, almost, of the pyramid. His constant question is, how can I help? What a great question. How can I help? Question number two. What do you think the problem is? It's a great question. Again, rather than being clumsy, rather than being demonstrative and definitive, what do you think the problem is? Here's another one. What are the reasons we've not been able to change that yet? You know, there are many things we'd like to change. Sometimes we can't change them yet. 
But not everyone can see the nuance of that. How can we help people to see the nuance of that? Here's another one. I, I like this one. What, what am I not asking you that I should? You know the elephant in the room idea? It's obvious to everyone. That's a great question. What's the elephant in this room and why am I not seeing it? It's you, boss. It's you. Number five. I, I like this one. What, how about asking this question to someone? What, what would you really like to do but can't because you just have t- don't have time? What would you really like, that's in a work context, what would you really like to do but can't because you don't have time? And then perhaps the follow-on question is, and can I take that off your hands? It's a good question. Two more. Number six, I learned this from my wife. How does this make you feel? You know what we men are like? You know, how does this make you feel? Not the Joey Tribbiani, how are you doing? How, how does this make you feel? Because we're not as good at reading people's emotions and feelings as we think we are. Because we probably teleport hours in. How does that make you feel? It's a great question. And it's an opening question that can lead on to lots of others. And the final one, this is, a, this is an Andy Stanley one. It goes something like this. Um, think of it in a, in a workplace environment, if you like. If a stranger, presumably some form of a consultant expert, if a stranger was imported into your context, your staff from your office, your meeting, whatever it is, without any of the emotional or relational or historical baggage that you have, what would they look at, be horrified at, and change right away? There's always something in there we cling on to. It's a pet favourite. And then the follow-up question is, if, if, if they would, what's stopping us from doing it? Why don't we? Really interesting lens to look at things through. A chap called Brian Grazer wrote a book called Curious Mind, The Secret to a Bigger Life. And he said, curiosity, asking questions, isn't just a way of understanding the world. It's a way of changing it. So, wrap this up. Sorry, I haven't made 30 minutes. I apologize. Forgive me. First of all, asking great questions will help you communicate much more effectively. It will help you to get the right answer a lot quicker. It will help you build respect and trust in your relationships. It will avoid clumsy communication and all the unpleasant fallout. And it'll make you likable and it'll make your conversations more fun. Also, and finally, it'll help you to gently open the spiritual door in your conversation. You know, question asking is a great tool for opening up the heart. You see, if you go in with a sledgehammer, they will, as we've been talking about in the last weeks, they'll hedgehog full prickles, spikes and all. Or even worse, sorry, this is North American in me, even worse, they'll skunk. However, if you use a good question, if you use a gentle question, an interested question, not not the rhetorical leading question, 
that they might start to unfold. Because, of course, as Jesus demonstrated, not every question needs to be answered to serve its purpose. Okay, just leave you with two challenges this week, if that's okay. Challenge number one, very simple, very straightforward, no great surprises. This week, try asking loads and loads and loads of questions. And next week, I want you to come back and tell me how you got on. Okay, good, that's number one. Number two, slightly more specifically, is next time you're tempted to make that clumsy communication effort. You know, to make that bold, brash, definitive, accusatory statement. Ask yourself, would I get further, faster, by instead asking a couple of intelligent, probing questions? I'm done. If the worship team would like to come forward, I'm going to pray. And, uh, and then we'll wrap this thing up. Why don't you stand, stretch your legs. I was only 10 minutes out. That's pretty good. Okay. Let's pray. Very simply, Lord, none of us wants to be that rhinoceros. None of us wants to be that elephant in the room. None of us wants to be that hedgehog curling up. And so, Father, as we, as we look to Jesus' masterful example of communication, as we listen to the leading and the prompting of the Holy Spirit in our hearts, Lord, would you teach us how to communicate well? Would you drop those helpful questions in our hearts? Would you help us, teach us how to, to bring those into our conversations and into our communications? Lord, it might make a real difference. Help us, Lord. Open up our eyes to see. In Jesus' name. Amen.